The Naked DJs Podcast. Are they really naked? We know. They expose themselves every day just so they can bring you the best of music. They like to stick it out there for everyone to hear. You can hear their podcast on Anchor.fm, YouTube, and any of your favorite podcast platforms. Welcome to the Living the Dream Podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Welcome to the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast, a show where I interview guests that teach, motivate, and inspire. Today, we're going to be talking about education, special education, because I am joined by special education teacher Patrice Badami. Patrice specializes in helping kids with special needs and families with kids with special needs get the special education services they require in their home district. So we're going to be talking to her about that and all that she does and why she got started in this. So Patrice, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thanks for inviting me. I'm glad to be here. Well, why don't you start off by telling everybody a little bit about yourself? Okay. Um, Yes, my name is Patrice Badami, and uh, I have two degrees. I have one in journalism, uh, which led to me leading into my special education, uh, master's and elementary ed. I was actually uh, working on a book on autism. And what's ironic about that is several years later, around six years later after I I edited this book, uh, I had my own son and I noticed early on certain behaviors that were, that coincided with symptoms that I noticed in the book as I had read it, I made like a mental note. And as, as, as he got a little bit older, I, I started knowing more and more behaviors, which are called perseverations, uh, which are rep- repetitious behaviors uh, that are used to self-stimulate or self-stim. I immediately got him early intervention. And then from there on, I moved, I moved forward with him. He was nonverbal till he was four. Um, and I said, you know, I need to get myself a master's so that I can advocate for him and know everything about law and everything about services. So having said that, what I ended up doing was I followed him through the system. I got myself uh, educated on what the different needs are for children with autism. And I got myself an advocate in the area who taught me a lot. So having said this, the positive thing here is he just graduated from college and he did really well in college. And the end of the story is that children who are on the spectrum, that's what you need to understand is they can be, there's a whole spectrum. I've worked with children from 18 months to 21 years, and there's varying degrees of autism. And there's a lot of hope because there's a lot of awareness now. Um, and the, I, what I'd like to teach you at some point during this, during this podcast, explaining to you what my journey was and what you can do to get yourself services through your school district. Yeah, okay. because my son has autism as well. And I know that every parent is not going to be able to get a master's like you did. So tell the parents what they can do to advocate okay. for their kids and help them out. Okay. First of all, I think, I think, a parent who is starting to see behaviors that they feel are concerning, 
Um, some of the things you could you might come across are repetitious behaviors such as turning lights on and off, um, the delay in milestone, reaching milestones, such as not speaking, uh, any type of sound um, being formulated before at the age of two or limited, uh, meaning at a, by age two, they should be speaking uh, approximately uh, 200 words by that point. If you see that there isn't that type of development happening, there's no uh, eye-to-eye co- um, contact, there's no visual contact where the child looks you in the eye, they feel uncomfortable or they look away, so they're not speaking, they have that, they have a behavior perhaps where they're uh, unzipping and zipping a shirt, or they want to wear specific types of shoes, perhaps they don't want to wear socks. You start noticing behaviors that don't seem uh, to be typically developing behaviors, and you have red flags in your gut, usually your gut instinct's right. <laughs> so what you do at that point is you get you go to your uh, pediatrician and you explain these behaviors to your pediatrician. They will take a look at your child. Now, years ago, they would. I've noticed that pediatricians now take a little bit of a step back. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, depends on who you have, but they might not say anything other than you need to get your child assessed through the school district, which is fine. What will happen is you can go to your school district and you say, I feel that my child needs early intervention. That's for a child who is uh, under the age of three, usually around anywhere from 18 months to 24 months, which is two. That's when people start noticing that they're not reaching the milestones. So what happens is the school district immediately will test your child for occupational therapy, which is fine motor skills that um, that's scissor cutting, uh, holding a pencil, holding a, a fork, that type of a thing. Then there's a uh, gross motor, which is physical therapy. And that's the ability to uh, use your large muscle, muscle groups on your body, running, walking, skipping, balancing of that nature. Then they're going to do a speech evaluation. And sometimes the speech evaluation also has a component called feeding, which, which I suggest you definitely do that. Definitely do the feeding too, because sometimes there's a comorbidity. And that means that there's two things going on at once. There's not just the inability to hold the fork and feed. Also, there could be a swallowing problem as well. And if the child has a tongue tie, which actually my, my uh, younger daughter has right now, I have to get that uh, addressed. But it, when they have a tongue tie, that means that the skin under the tongue is too long. They're not able to formulate words. So that could be something that's also going along, but that's not necessarily a symptom of autism. It's just something else. So when you get them evaluated for speech, get them evaluated for swallowing and feeding, because that's actually an also a service that you can get. Then there's the last piece, which is the academic. So that's where they take uh, educational uh, goals that a child that's typically developing would be accomplishing at the age of your child. And they, and when they're younger, they'll do things like matching blocks, matching patterns. They, they change it according to the age of your child. So they can still, but the early intervention must be started before the age of three. So that's why they call it early intervention. If you first notice with your child that they're not even sitting up, like my daughter, she didn't sit up or roll over. These are also things that could go along with the developmental deficits that, that, that autism is. 
So I would get a full scale across the board check for everything because there could be, um, there's definitely going to be motor issues with child with autism because there's a piece in the brain that affects their ability to understand what exactly you want them to do, whether it's skipping, running, and their gait is a, another indication that they might have a discrepancy or a weakness. So when you get early intervention, they're going to catch a lot of things and it makes a huge difference. So my first thing to say is go to your pediatrician, say, do you think my child needs early intervention? That's, that's a very important thing for you to know the terminology there, early intervention, because with that, you go to your school district and they will get this for you because they really do want to service children before they, they get lost between the cracks. And don't worry about classification. Classification, I want you to just use this, this word to substitute classification. It's a support. Don't worry about any quote stigmas. People used to worry about that stuff in the 70s and whatnot, but nowadays people are more educated and they know that, that getting classified will get you action. It will get you the supports to help guide your child and facilitate them, which is facilitating basically means reaching out to the child, seeing where they are, what they need, and changing the curriculum to meet what their capabilities are. Um, uh, that's, that's also called scaffolding. Um, so anyways, once you get the early intervention and they age out of that, it's going to be so much easier to get them the services through the school district once they get that first piece in. It's very difficult for a school district to say, oh, no, you don't need it anymore. Once that child has gotten the IEP, which is an individual education plan, that's what they give you in the early intervention. Uh, they'll get, start that process where they create goals for your child. So if your child has a feeding goal or your child needs to amp up their fine motor or if, if their verbal skills need to be uh, worked on, they'll have everything written out and you can actually look up on the computer you look up, um, you can look up early intervention goals, or um, you could look up elementary education goals, and you'll find a lot of things online to help guide you. And that's where I would start. And from there, we can go into another section, but I want to give Curtis a chance to ask me a question. Well, the question I want to ask is sure. when a parent goes into a special education meeting, give some tips and things that, that will help the parent be able to okay. advocate and, and get as much mm -hmm. as needed for the child. Yes. Okay. So here's what I would say. First, what you need to do is you need to get the pediatrician recommendation. They usually will say they want the school to test the child. You get the early intervention. Once you get that done, then it's time to Unfortunately, sometimes you have to go back to the drawing board and say, okay, my child is now three years old. Uh, I want to make sure that they have what they need for the next, the next step. So that's where I would get outside independent evaluations. If I don't, if this is only if I feel that the school district's not doing enough. That's if they are, and you see their child thriving, then I would leave that because outside independence, you have to check with your insurance and find people within your network who will take your insurance and give your child their, an assessment. An assessment is when they're independent of your school district. So they will, you have to double check that by the way, make sure they're not uh, you know, working with the school district because then that's counterproductive. You wanna get someone outside your school district to evaluate your child. I would get a neurological 
assessment, um, I would get a, I would get a, an occupational therapy and a speech therapy assessment and see where that goes. The, the neurologist usually will take the uh, other independent evals and he'll put that together and come up with a plan for you. Uh, another option is to, uh, what I'm actually in the process of doing for my own daughter, who she was born at 30 weeks. So she has pre, uh, preemie issues. She's she has some cognitive deficits and whatnot. So I'm getting, an, there's another thing you can do is a neuro, neuropsychological. What that is, is that's an, they, they give you a full scale um, tests for learning and education, which will tell you what, where are they? What can they do? What are they not able to do? They also check for central auditory processing, which my son also had as a child with autism. What that means is you're unable to discern the difference between a conversation and background noise. So if you hear someone tapping a pencil and your teacher speaking, you're able to hear the pencil as loud as the teacher speaking. So sometimes one of a person, a goal and a service that can be requested for that child is they get headphones and the headphones will block out the other sounds and only allow the microphone to go into your child. So your child can hear and concentrate on that, focus on that. So outside independent evaluations are getting specialists to validate your concerns in an objective way. That's not, it's not uh, on the same page as the school district, meaning essentially they're not going to be advocating for the school district. They're not working with the school district. You want to make sure you get outside there. They get someone a couple of towns over or a school district over and find yourself like specialists in the area. And you can always do it through Google and get recommendations that way. But that's, that's the set. That's only if the school district is not, but it's best to have this information so that you can say, oh, wait a minute, you want to change their speech and language to only one day a week independent? No, I want group as well. So you can be able to know what your specialists are recommending for your child. If you don't have the ability to do that financially, which is very possible in a lot of, time, a lot of times, is you find someone who will advocate for you. And that's something you can find. There's a lot of people advocating out there now. And that person will look at your, look at what your child's, where your child is and say, I recommend this, this, and this. More importantly than getting this specialist is to educate yourself and say, I want to make sure my child is getting enough speech that it's going to make a difference and an impression on them. They definitely need one speech alone if, they have, if they're on the spectrum and they can get one to two group. The group ones are important because it helps them to learn social interaction skills. That's really important. So that's what I would say. I would say, get the information. If you can't do the independent evals, check on the websites, check on Autism Speaks. That's a very helpful website. And I'm actually going to give you a list of books that I've used. I'm going to send that to Curtis and he can attach it. Uh, when you see the podcast, it'll have a whole bunch of references and resources that I've used that are very, very helpful. But learn about it and don't be afraid to stand up and say, my child needs this. And when you go to the CSE meetings, here's what you're going to go with. You're going to go with these. You're going to go with the information questions. Any questions you have have to be addressed. Uh, this is going to sound crazy, but have a picture of your child, because when there's a picture, 
they'll be looking at this picture when they're making, making up the goals and it, it does have an impact because they'll be realizing it's not just a piece of paper. This is my child here. And if you feel that in your classrooms for the older children on the spectrum, if you feel that they're not being facilitated in a larger classroom and you want to have a co-teaching model, you can actually go in and say, I don't, this is not the appropriate uh, situation for my child. I don't feel they're thriving. You can get co-teaching. You can get, you can get, uh, they can be in a classroom that has typically developing children and children with autism. So they have peer models. That's called, um, that type of classroom is called an integrated classroom. So you don't have to feel that your child necessarily has to be pulled all the way out and be in a classroom that is just very separate and not allowing them to thrive as in, in the least restrictive classroom. You can have an independent, uh, I mean, an, an integrated classroom, excuse me, which will be helpful. It's always good for children on the spectrum to see modeling children who are typically developing. Um, and that's something that you could ask for. So there's many, many things you can ask for. Uh, this one particular publisher called NOLO, N-O-L-O, uh, they have several different books. I have the one in front of me called Learning Disabilities. It's for my daughter, but they have one on autism as well. And it'll give you examples of what IEPs should look like. And that's something very important. The bottom line is if you're able to advocate yourself, you don't necessarily need those outside independents. If you know the terminology, you know what to ask for, you can do it yourself. And you, you just remember you're entitled to it. You, you know, that's what taxes are for is to make sure children who, who need to be facilitated are. Well, let's talk about, you know, we're talking about school and all that, but let's talk about how um, you can advocate for your child that has Asperger's syndrome throughout their entire path, college, all that stuff. Okay. I just did that with my son. Um, okay. So one thing you have to, you have to realize is the thing I wanted to touch on is, is perseverations. Okay. What are perseverations? Those are behaviors that are repetitious. And I bring this up right now because you just mentioned uh, talking about your child who is older and who you want to advocate for them so they can go to college and, and do well there and enjoy themselves. You have to be aware of what your child's limitations are or what their preferences are. Another way of saying this is what is their, what is their trigger? What are their, what are things that will upset them? What can you learn from that? My, for example, my son. Okay. So he went to community college because he didn't want to, he didn't want to live in a dorm. So he lived at home. Then I found out about programs that work with that work with the, the community college. So he was able to get all of the services he needed based on his IEP. And one thing I want everyone out there to understand is when your child is given an IEP every year, they are going to come back to this committee on special education and reevaluate it. And you can add don't assume that just because it's every year goes by, they're going to be taking away stuff. You can add stuff. You can add any type of uh, service you think would be benefit your child. That is a legal and binding document. That document follows them until they decide they don't need school anymore. Now, if they want to go to college, get a PhD, get their master's, that document goes with them and any university has to adhere to it. So if on your, on your IEP, it says um, separate location, time and a half on assignments, they get that even getting their PhD. 
that's something you need to know. That's something that's like, a, it's a support for them that follows them throughout their life. Now that, so that's the one thing you need to know that any services are going to follow them. The second thing is you have to think, okay, what would benefit my child? Do they want it? Are they going to want a dorm room? Do they maybe want an independent room? They're entitled to that, or maybe they'll commute. You have to see what works for them and keep, keep speaking to your child and, and realize that some children, like my son, for example, they don't always verbalize what they need or what they want. Sometimes they'll, you'll see by their actions. And if you know that they get overwhelmed in large, in large groups of people, for example, a party or, or if they're in an auditorium for, like, for a, a lecture, keep that in mind when you select the college for them that you, don't want, you want to uh, you know, be able to work with their strengths. So his strength is he could, have, he could drive and he could get there and do his schoolwork, but he could not live there. If your child feels that way, then you just work around it. So having a child on, who has, who's on the autism spectrum and who has Asperger's syndrome, and I just taught several children today who are on the spectrum. And these are children who uh, I've found just personally, when I've, all the children who I've worked with who are on the autism spectrum, they tend to be uh, children who want to do the right thing. They don't, don't like going against the grain. They like to work with what is like, in other words, when you give them an assignment, they want to do it, they try to do it, they might get frustrated if they can't do it, but they never, that I've, my experience, they never say, I don't want to do it, I, I, nothing like that. They can, they always want to do what's the right thing, if you will. And that said, you can help that happen by stepping back and pulling things that are going to be triggers for them. Know what their sensitivities are. Know what... You know, if, for example, the children I was working with today, they're in a smaller classroom, there's only four students, and that's fine. That works for them. They don't want to be in a class with 27. And you can also work with this when, it, when they're in grammar school and high school. Like the kids I work with today were in high school. But when they're in grammar school, they might not thrive in a class of, of uh, 25. They might do better in a class of 10. It's the same curriculum, but it's going to be, they're going to get more one-on-one -on -one attention when it, com when it comes to the college situation, uh, you know, find out from talking with your child, what are your goals? What makes you feel comfortable? You know, do you want an apartment? Are you able to, would you be okay with just being a commuter? Um, and realize that don't feel bad when it comes to worrying about their ability to make friends. A lot of times, a lot of times children with Asperger's are perfectly happy having just one or two friends and that's just how they are. That's, that's how my son is. So when you worry about that, just if you keep your line of communication open and say to them, what makes you comfortable? What, how is social interactions with you? How does that, what, what makes you feel good? Do you want to just have the one friend come over for dinner or whatever? Um, I think sometimes we worry that they're going to have a life that they're alone. And I've, I, I know an adult male, he's uh, 25 years old and he, He's, he prefers being with his cat or whatever. But when it comes to living in a dorm, see what works for your child and see what types of classes are the best for them. And there's many different programs that are statewide that will help to your child get a job after college. There's one here, it's, um, he works, so it's called Access VR. There's a lot of them within the different states where they work and help your child get an internship after college or even while they're in college. 
it will help them to um, learn how to do their banking, help them get a license. It'll help them, um, they'll have a job coach or not. But the people who, who, who are all the different businesses that work to, with these internships, they're working with the, the Access VR, for example, and they, they will treat your child with respect and they are aware that their child has differences. And it's a very important thing for you to look into. Find out statewide what um, different government agencies will help your child and facilitate them after college if they don't, or if they don't want to go to college and they want to just do work study. That's something that you need to, to learn about as well. Um, yeah, so that's that's something I wanted to, to let you know that you're, you're able to find things like that out there as well. You know, there's a lot of different directions and a lot of questions I, I could ask, but you just mm-hmm. touch on on for the rest of the you know interview, touch on things that you think that are important. So I don't leave anything out and we cover sure. as much okay. of a basis as possible for parents. Sure. OK, so first what I want to do is I want to give you a, the definition of autism and then I have some other information, too. Uh, we're taking a step back. So first I gave you some information on how you can deal once you know that they have autism, but there's people out there who they're not sure, they don't know what to do and they're concerned. So what autism is, according to the Autism Society, uh, autism is a lifelong developmental disability that appears in early childhood and can impact a person's social skills, communication uh, and relationships and self-regulation. So that's, that's, that's the definition, but essentially what it means is it's difficult for People with autism to, number one, it can be uncomfortable for them to give you complete eye contact. That could be just uncomfortable. So um, what I often do is when I'm talking to a child with autism, I'll say, could you look at my nose for a minute? Just look at my nose when I'm talking to you, rather than say, look at me, look me in the eyes. Because when they look at your nose, they're not really looking at your eyes, but they're facing you. And they're able to start that, they're start, start uh, being able to interact with you a little bit more and get your, they get, you get their attention. So sometimes they can't read body language. They have difficulty with sarcasm. They don't really know what you mean by like certain things. So um, figurative speech is a little hard for them to understand. Sometimes that's my experience. They are not, they don't feel, they don't feel comfortable when someone tries to have them not, uh, when someone tries to put them on the spot, they sometimes feel uncomfortable. Uh, they can, children who have autism can become frustrated and then become behavioral. So when they're trying to express themselves, you can kind of intervene before that, that happens. And you need to be aware of them on an individual basis and know what triggers they might have when you're trying to work with them. So with what I mean by that is um, I worked with a child who, when he got frustrated, uh, he would bang his head. And so we needed to be aware of what he needed before he got to a point where he started first tapping his hand. You need to know what sets your child off and what things make them feel comfortable. Sometimes scheduling is a very helpful thing. That worked for me. Scheduling is when you create a poster showing exactly what's going to be happening on a specific day. So you would have Here's, here's a picture brushing your teeth. Here's a picture of getting having breakfast, getting dressed. So if they, they feel a lot of times very secure with scheduling. So if you could create a schedule and one that has visual cues, depending on your child's uh, needs, 
that that's a very good thing. I noticed that with my life, um, my son, we have a very specific schedule that we basically follow every night. And that's very comforting. So that's where what's interesting is I thought of this when I was writing down these definitions. When a child watches a movie over and over again, and you wonder why they do that, it's for comfort's sake, because they know what's going to happen next. It's something that eases their stress level. And that's why they do repetitious behaviors. And they sometimes also might talk to themselves. It's called self-talk. To, they, they are, they're able to self-regulate. So that's actually, it might seem uh, like a negative thing, but it's really a good thing. My son it, does that all the time. He's still watching Christmas movies and he talks to himself right. a whole lot. Okay. I know so what that's, you're talking about. It's actually very comforting to them. It's almost like, but for me, I'll be like, okay, I have to go to the store. I got to get the eggs. I got to do it. I'll do it to myself too sometimes. So it's a good thing because it helps. They're like, okay, I'm starting to get nervous. So let me repeat to myself what I need to repeat. And then I'll feel more comfortable. So it's a self-stimming thing, but it's, it's a comforting thing. Um, but with, but as a, a caretaker, what you do is you observe and you say, okay, what's going on right now that might possibly be setting us about to have an issue. And then you, you remove from that. For example, reg change. Here's what you do. When you want to go out, you want to do something with your child. Um, you know, maybe the whole family wants to go to the park, whatever. Uh, you can take, take that, that expedition out and break it into pieces and say, all right, let, our goal for today is to get to the park and maybe have an ice cream and that's it. And then we're going to go home. Uh, because you have to start learning where your child needs to take an event and break it down before it becomes something overstimulating for them. It might be too much to stay all day. So you break it into pieces and then everyone learns to, to deal with that because it's important. And for example, going to Disney world or something of that nature, that can be seem like a really fun situation, but it's very loud. There's a lot of colors when you go on some of these rides and that you have to think of it that way. Whenever you do anything, think about, okay, let's think about this as if I'm going on a ride on, to Disney, what could set off this, this? Maybe there's fireworks. Is that something? Is there, is it very bright where you're going? Are there too many people? Um, do they you have access to the types of food your child likes? So that's, that's self-standing is, is actually, in my opinion, worked working in this field since 2004. Uh, I think it's normal. I, I don't have a problem with it. I think I use it as like a gauge and I say, Hey, you know, maybe he's getting upset. Let's see if we can back up a little bit, rethink the situation and then change the, the situation a little bit. So here's, here's um, some of the di different symptoms. Uh, the DSM four describes, describes um, some of the symptoms as persistent differences in communication to personal relationships, social interaction across different environments. Um, that there's a restrictive and repetitious behavior sometimes, pattern activities, interests, uh, repetitious movements, uh, preference for routine, sensitive to sound or other stimuli. So the stimuli, for example, could be even bright lights. So you have to just be, just be aware of your child. You'll start learning all the di different things. And when you, when you see that, you, you basically adjust the situation to increase the comfort. That's, that's something I would say. Um, but, uh, some of the other things that, that occur, uh, there's atypical speech patterns, maybe talking again, talking to, to yourself, or perhaps 
saying a certain word over and over or something of that nature. Difficulty understanding nonverbal communication. So they have a difficult time understanding body language too. Or if a child rolls their eyes at them, they're not going to really understand what that is. Uh, maybe that's good in some ways because honestly, you know, children can do things and make body movements and make faces that are upsetting. And maybe in some ways it's kind of shielding them from that, but it's something to note that they don't understand expressions all the time. Difficulty keeping friends in and making them. Difficulty with back and forth conversation style. So that's another thing that I understand from my own son where you could be asking them a specific question and they'll look at you and they might very well be processing what you're saying. So because, um, because autism is a developmental disability, so is some of the, there's a thing called um, being able to have the communication. Uh, it's them understanding exactly what you're saying, which is a processing problem. Processing basically means that I, you're saying something and it's taking me a minute for it to go through my head and for me to really first understand what you're saying, then think of what I need to say next. So that's a very important thing. And that's, it's not uncommon for children who are on the spectrum to also have a processing issue. And for, like I said before, if they're talking to you and someone's tapping a pen, that might be something that's very, it causes an interruption with the understanding of what's going on. So that's, that's something else to, to bear in mind is that the conversation might not be going as quickly, but if it's if you're approaching the, your child and, and not that you need to speak like slower necessarily, but give them a minute, give them a chance to, to, to really understand what you're saying. And if not come at it a different way, say it a different way. If they're not understanding clearly, you, you try to take a minute and rethink what you're asking them and how you can say it a different way to, to get through to them. Um, there's a lot of hope out there for children on the spectrum. I'm going to tell you this. My son, he used to clap his hands and he used to take his hand and there's a flicking of the fingers in front of the face. So that's a physical thing he did. He used to flick his fingers. He used to cover his ears and he used to flap and he didn't speak till he was four. He also didn't look me in the eye for quite a while. And what I did was rather than hold his face, I, that's another thing. You really have to be very careful of their personal space, a child with autism. Sometimes they don't like it. If you, if you touch them, hug them, put your hands on them, they don't really like that, but they'll show their affection for you in other ways, which I was reading something the other day um, about this woman who's found out her, her husband's on the spectrum. And what she did was she said, I used to get upset that he wouldn't give me a Christmas present, but you know what he did do is he made her coffee a certain way every day. He knew how to draw the bath for her. They come, they have, they're human beings and they have their own way of expressing their love and, and their concern and their interest in people. It doesn't mean just because they don't express it the way you think doesn't mean that they don't care and that they're not emotional people and people who have feelings. They do. They just, you have to look at it and interpret it differently. Um, having said all of that, so I've explained what the definition is, some of the symptoms. I've told you that with support early on, it makes a huge difference. Having the early intervention got him speaking. By the time he was ready for kindergarten, uh, he appeared just shy. They got rid of the perseverations, which are the, the flapping. 
Now, the self-talk, still there. Okay, that's fine. But some of the other behaviors, they, they, what they do is they take a tacting system and they're able to reduce these perseverations by eliminating them, by substituting behaviors that are more, I guess you could say, desirable, more socially acceptable. They, they basically eliminate by, by using a tacting system. And a tacting system is when you have a goal. Maybe the child likes to play with a red truck. So you have them do certain things, certain behaviors, and then once they complete that, but they get a sticker each time they do it, then they're able to get that. So they learn, you can learn, the child with autism can learn to change their behavior by getting support. It can happen, it happened with my son. And he had a lot of the symptoms and a lot of the, the behaviors that children have when they're young. So by getting this, the support and, and educating yourself, you could simply, like, I have a book that's, if I was to say one book on autism, a single book, and it's going to be in the list of uh, resources, but it's called the Autism Sourcebook. Everything you need to know about diagnosis, treatment, coping, and healing. And it's from Karen Sif Xcorn. It's a terrific book. Uh, it helps you grasp what the diagnosis really means, coping with common um, marital and familial stress, understanding and accessing treatment options, making the stigma of autism a thing of the past. Know your child's rights in the school system. If I was to tell you one book, that's the book, because that's a, that's a very helpful book. It's, it's globally helpful because it tells you the legal piece, what you're entitled to, and it helps you learn about what autism is. And so having said all of this, my thing I want to tell you is there is hope. There's a lot of hope. There's a lot of support and validation out there. And there's a lot of different groups that are really pushing uh, the rights of, of autism up and into, you know, they're, they're, having, they're having their rights heard and, and by people who are advocating for them. So you should join a couple groups if you can. On, there's, I'm sure there's Facebook groups, but Autism Speaks is probably the first place I would go to really learn a lot more. And you could probably find they, you know, more information about advocating there. And, and that's something I wanted to share with you. But once again, I'll definitely give you a list of resources that I have. I have run, I'm sitting up at my desk. I literally have around 10 books here. And I'll, I'll make sure that I get those, uh, type those up and send those to Curtis to include. Curtis, any well, other questions? Yeah. Do you have any contact information that, that you could give out that people can contact you, any Facebook or, you know, oh, where yeah. people I might mean, have questions? Oh, yeah. So what I was going to say is I actually, my, my website is called Acorn to Tree Learn and Grow, and it's going to have all different, uh, it's going to have the podcast on there, but it has resources on there. Uh, a lot of the, I have one that's specifically for autism, it's a page, but uh, it's still being processed, so it's not up and running. But I, you know, that once I have that up and running, it should be in, within the month. It's going to have resources for for families and children from pregnancy all the way up to high school. It's going to have OTPT speech on there. They're all free resources that I've found on the internet. I actually made this website for my daughter, who was in early intervention, and now we're suddenly finding that she's having some medical and some other issues, and I wanted to have all the information in one spot. So it's going to have everything from math. It's going to have language, ELL. It's going to have special education resources, autism resources, and 
They're just really helpful things. But once I have the website up, I'm going to uh, send, I'll send Curtis, I'll send you the link. Uh, it might not be in the next two weeks, but it'll be within the month. And then at that point, you can, you can add that to your, I guess, website or however you do that. But I'm going to have it up. And, and then, yeah, people can definitely contact me with questions. And I can try to find some resources that, you know, that will be helpful to them and some different books and things. Okay, well, give us some final thoughts to close it out. Anything that we didn't talk about that you think about that we missed? Mm-hmm. Let me think. Um, oh, okay. Um, I was going to say, so let's let's talk about the recreational piece and, the, and that type of thing outside of the classroom. So what are some things that you can do to have your child be involved and to feel, uh, you know, just included in their, you know, their neighborhood and such? Uh, what I was going to say is I, I was actually a Girl Scout leader and I also was a, uh, a Cub Scout 10, you know, I would work with those of a mom scout working with the Cub Scouts. But what I was going to say is with your child, there's so many different um, programs I've found in the Rockland Parent, which that's where I'm, I am, but it's called Metro Parent. That's the national name. And again, I'll, I'll list that when I send you the resources. They list all different events in the areas, in your cities. Um, they, I'm talking about the New York one, but they have, I noticed that it's a national uh, paper. It's basically a parent paper where it tells you all the different things that are going on. There's a lot of sensory friendly things that are going on so that children who, who want to participate in different things after school on the weekends with their families, there's, I'm noticing more and more every time I look at this magazine, there's always, there's always sensitive uh, special events and you should look out for those. And then you can also search, when you do a Google search, you can search your area and find things. I'm finding more and more things are available. Everything from um, like, for example, a magic show or a musical, but the musical doesn't have flashing lights and the sound is, is, is lowered significantly. Uh, there's And there's also something else that, it, you know, being in New York, a lot of the plays and musicals in the city, they have special ones that are uh, low sensory. So these are things you should look out for because you want your child to be included and to feel like they can do things. And you want the family to enjoy their time with your child, but validating their needs. There's a lot of stuff out there. Um, and I'm going to look further into the Metro parent. Chuck E. Cheese <laughs> has uh, the autism Sunday as well. Yes, yes. I remember I went there when my son was little. Chuck E. Cheese definitely has it. Um, and there's some of the Broadway plays that are for children. They're, they're doing it as well. Um, so that's something important to keep in mind because you want your, you know, your child should not be, uh, once they're in school, what, they shouldn't have to be home. There's things that, that are friendly for them to experience. So that's something that you should keep in mind too. All yeah. right, ladies and gentlemen, okay. Patrice Badami giving all the information on kids with special needs. So we're going to have her resources in the show notes as well as her website. Right. So make sure that you follow, rate, review, share this to as many people as possible, especially mm-hmm. the parents that needed it and that are struggling because Patrice has a lot of information. Android listeners, go to the Google Play Store and download the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast app. Patrice, I want to thank you so much for joining me and all of your expertise. Oh, thank you so much. And one last thing I wanted to mention, I just remembered, 
uh, on the website, I've reviewed special education toys, only toys that are learning. And I also list different books that are helpful for parents and caregivers. So there's going to be different sensory toys and things that I review. And if I don't like them, they're not going on the site. I want to make sure they're purposeful and they're facilitating children with special needs. So that's something else that's going to be on the website. Sweet. And, and, next month. <laughs> and we will have that website and all the resources for you. Thank you again for taking time out of your busy schedule to join. Thank you so much. For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream.